When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I am at one of our job sites, an old house built in the 1890s, and there are workers and tools all over this site. And one of the tools, and an essential one, is right in front of me, the dumpster. And as I look into it, filled with all sorts of debris, pallets, drywall, cardboard, we've got some metal scraps as well. Uh, this container, well, it's going to be filled and refilled dozens of times on this job site. In fact, there are two here right now. There's a separate one just for brick. Across this country, we generate about 570 million tons of construction waste every year. That's twice as much as the stuff that we put into our household garbage. And where does it all go? Well, we wanted to find out. From this old house, this is Clear Story. Your home in a new light. I'm Kevin O'Connor. Well, it is a necessary evil. One, we have to, as you said, whether you're demoing, tearing the whole house down, or a selected room, or gutting the house. It has to go somewhere. That's our own Charlie Silva. Charlie is heading up construction on the Cape Ann Project House we're building just north of Boston. The necessary evil he's talking about is the dumpster. A typical dumpster, or 30-yarder as we call it, can hold four to five tons of material. That's eight to 10,000 pounds of debris, or roughly nine full pickup trucks. That's a lot of stuff. I've never measured a dumpster, but if I had to guess, it's probably 25, 28 feet long, probably seven feet, seven and a half feet wide inside, and probably six and a half feet tall. Yeah, I mean, when you walk into one of these things, when they're empty, you, you're hard-pressed to see over the edges. Yes, correct. And uh, a couple little Volkswagens could drive in there and park in them, right? And if I crush them, I can get four. <laughs> one of the first things Charlie does when starting at a job site is to order dumpsters. Each one costs the homeowners about $600, and some projects can require a lot of them, which quickly adds up. So, before any demolition happens, Charlie walks through the house to see what can be salvaged. You know, look, go through the cabinets, hopefully you can salvage those, go to a restore place, and, you know, maybe somebody else can use them, whether it's plumbing, fixtures. I think you saw some old sinks, and actually remember the spiral stairs that everybody wanted, and I still have them, actually. So <laughs> Everyone wanted them, right. but not that much. <laughs> yeah, and then even if you can, a real good demo, you're saving all the copper pipes for, for recycling that, you know, and you don't, you don't get some money for that. So you really go through that first. 
You get the picture. These huge containers fill up, and the stuff has to go somewhere. 20 or 30 years ago, it was pretty simple. The dumpster was hauled off to a landfill, end of story. And that does still happen in some parts of the country. But that's not an option for everyone. In places like Massachusetts, Vermont, and West Virginia, construction waste is banned from landfills. So in those states, you've got to take all the materials that aren't going into the new build and send them to a construction waste recycling center, where they'll be sorted for reuse. Now, Charlie's not only looking out for what he can reuse or salvage. Correct. First, for example, when we do a renovation, a major renovation, or even a small one, you know, an older home, you know there's probably some asbestos in there. Yeah. So I'll do a quick walkthrough, kind of thinking what we might have. So, for example, might be asbestos on old pipe, a boiler, in the ductwork, believe it or not. I just did one, and for the first time, we had the found out that the 27 windows had asbestos in the putty glazing. Oy. So what's that mean? I had to have the environmental company come in. They took all that out as well as they test all the drywall in the house and anything that comes back positive, that's an extra charge. And of course, a separate unit that they supply to put the asbestos in. After Charlie inspects what's in the house, the dumpsters arrive, including one that's only for brick. Main reason is it can be recycled. And if we throw brick in with the wood debris or plaster debris, the weight will go up because of the brick, costing you a lot more money. So strictly having brick only, we actually put signs around it so somebody doesn't even throw a coffee cup in it. Yeah. Because if somebody throws a bag of trash in it, that becomes a different class and will not be a recycled brick. And so you'll pay a fortune for that. Oh, man. I went over my weight limit once and it killed me. Did I tell you this? No. Negotiated a really good price, and then the guy came and picked it up, and in, instead of sending me a bill for 500 bucks, he sent me a bill for like 1500 bucks. Yeah, and you don't even know, you don't even like at the scale when the truck gets weighed. No, I, well, I had no idea back in the day that he was weighing it. Yeah. And I was like, what's with the 1500 bucks? And he's like, well, the thing weighs a fortune. It's full of concrete. Yeah, and believe it or not, I've even said to myself, my God, we've had three days of rain. How much water's in the dumpster? That's exactly what I, so I'm on the phone with him yeah. trying to negotiate it back down right. to 500 bucks. And I'm like, it rained yesterday. Right. <laughs> it was brutal. That's right. But I guess in your scheme of things, the waste expense is not gigantic, but it's a real thing for you because you just got to figure it out. It's a real number that the homeowner has to pay, but it is a necessary evil. What do you, I mean, we had to do it before and we still have to do it. It's just all these expenses come with it. You've been in the biz for a long time. How has your mindset changed when it comes to waste removal? There's no question it has changed. Like if you go back 30 plus years when we literally used to do it ourselves and do a dump truck and go to the landfill and not even have, I shouldn't say have a dump truck, a truck, and then unload it by hand, not even flip a switch and dump it. And everything went into the dumpster. So from there to now, it's a huge change, but it has evolved over time. I completely respect the process. I respect the people that pick it up and have to deal with it. You know, you think about it, literally, it is a dirty job, right? The dust that goes on at the transfer stations, the stuff that's dumped. I mean, it's a brutal job sometimes. If you can't get waste out of there, you're not building new stuff. That's correct. Have you found uh, any change in mindset with the homeowners? A more awareness? I would say mostly just say, you know, that, you know, they can re- do something with that sink, that vanity, those cabinets, that flooring, moldings maybe, old doors, right? They want to do the right thing for the environment. So let's say, you know, if they can put those cabinets to good use, and it's even at a cost to them. So if they have to pay us to take them out carefully, you know, that that's a cost to the homeowner, but they're willing to spend that because the cabinets aren't going to go to waste. 
and other materials? I mean, sometimes you guys are ripping up the flooring, hardwood floors. Well, I actually have quite a pile uh, at my shop right now <laughs> of, uh, of good old heart pine. So uh, I'm not letting that go. And if you stop and look around your own house, well, there are a lot of things that still have life left, even after you've used them. Wood floors, windows, molding. So it makes sense that a lot of what comes out of a house can be used somewhere else. Now, Charlie mentioned recycling old brick, but there's a lot more going into dumpsters. We have concrete, Mm -hmm. we have drywall, um, there's wood as well, Um, asphalt shingles, you know, folks have to replace their roofs now and then. Those are just a few of the most significant ones. Nicole Villamazar works at the EPA. She's chief of the materials management branch in the Office of Resource Conservation and Recovery. All of that means she spends a lot of time thinking about construction waste and debris. Construction debris is actually one of the most significant waste streams that's generated in the U.S. In fact, 569 million tons of C&D debris were generated in the U.S. in, in 2017. And that is more than twice the amount generated of your typical garbage or municipal solid waste. So uh, let me just get my head around that. The garbage cans <laughs> that I put on the corner every week, all year long, for a guy like me who's not renovating this house, that's half of the garbage compared to the construction and debris waste? Oh, yes. Yes, they're enormous quantities. And it's pretty heavy, too. I mean, you're thinking about concrete and drywall and wood. These are pretty heavy materials, and they're really bulky. 569 million tons a year. That's right. All right, you're blowing my mind. That is unbelievable. Think about that the next time it's trash day in your neighborhood. Think about all the bins that you haul to the curb. And look at your neighbor's trash and the folks down the street. Now, if you could zoom out and see the entire country, trash bins outside of every household over a year, well, that's not even half the trash made by construction sites. So let's follow the dumpsters. This is just a typical load coming in off a construction site. That's all sorts of things in here. And uh, obviously being dumped here into a big pile. More after the break. In this country, we keep generating more construction waste, and it's not slowing down. But nearly 90% of that waste could be recycled, and that would save 440 acres of landfill 50 feet deep every year. C&D recycling is also a big business, a $7.5 billion industry, and some people, like Nicole at the EPA, see it as a growing area for new jobs. It all starts here. We visited the E.L. Harvey Recycling Facility in Westboro, Massachusetts, where Doug Harvey showed us around. This place is massive. Imagine dozens of excavators that pick up everything that comes out of dumpsters. Wood, brick, concrete, metals, plastic, drywall, and cardboard. And then dumps all of that material onto giant conveyor belts. I mean, we're talking about 250 tons of material a day. This conveyor carries the material up into our trommel. That's that big spinning drum up there. Yeah, that's a series of screens that sort the material. 
Picture a giant spinning drum, like the one inside your dryer. The first part of the drum has one inch holes. So any material smaller than an inch gets filtered out there. And anything bigger passes to the second part of the drum, which has 12 inch holes, and those separate more of the material. Anything that's left gets kicked out the back and into a water bath. That's correct. What comes in on the conveyor belt drops into the water, and what floats carries across under this conveyor belt. So we've got some of the obvious stuff. We've got wood. There's some random plastic that's gotten in there. <laughs> Someone's book. What happens to this stuff that doesn't float? Everything else sinks through the water and onto a conveyor belt, which is carried up to this point. And so in here, I can see that we've got some asphalt, looks like some concrete there, some metal pieces. Where is this going? The next step here is it's going to a magnet where all the ferrous metals are pulled off, then into the cabin where it's all hand sorted. All along the way, materials are filtered out and end up in bins. One for wood, one for brick, another for concrete, metals, and the list goes on. It's amazing that what arrives in a giant mess of a pile can be effectively sorted and reused. As you can see, it's a pretty clean product we have here. The wood is used as fuel and is burned to create electricity. How about the uh, metal? That's going to go to a local scrap yard, be melted down, and, and reuse the steel. I bet you that's pretty valuable. How about the plastic? The plastics we bail here on site and made into different things like toys and lumber and things of that sort. And what about the uh, corrugated cardboard here? Corrugated we bail here on site as well, and that's reused as corrugated boxes. Well, I have to say, this is probably the most sophisticated facility I've ever been to. It's certainly one of the most automated systems in the country. So do you think this is the wave of the future? I sure do. There are no federal rules about construction waste. Some places, like Massachusetts, require all construction dumpsters to go to recycling facilities like the one we visited. And there are a lot of reasons for that. It's obviously better for the environment, but space is an issue too. I mean, there's not always land to build new landfills. But for some cities and towns in more rural areas, land isn't an issue. And emptying a dumpster directly into a landfill is cheap. In the past, and in many states still, these landfills are unlined with the thought that the waste is not really going to degrade much, there's not going to be much in terms of emissions. And so it's been historically just dumped into the landfill and maybe covered with some soil and left there to remain for many, many years. That's Debbie Reinhardt. She's a professor at the University of Central Florida in the Department of Civil, Environmental, and Construction Engineering. Debbie is an expert in solid waste management and sustainable landfills. And something about what she said got me thinking. Why weren't the landfills filled with construction and demolition debris lined? Well, the thought was that most of the waste was fairly inert and could be stored safely. There's been many studies done more recently, looking at what is really happening after the waste is placed and looking at the leachate, we call it, the water percolates through the waste and comes out at the bottom. In a conventional municipal solid waste landfill, it's collected and treated. But in many of these CND landfills, the waste is placed in unlined facilities. And so you do see some things emanating. There, there's certainly a lot of metals in there. There's going to be a lot of salt as the calcium and concrete, for example, dissolves. 
So I think the trend now is to line these landfills, but that means that the cost of the landfills goes up considerably, and that impacts, of course, getting rid of this material. So just going back, the idea was, uh, you know, the dumpster's filled with things like wood and concrete and tile, and uh, they all sort of come from natural materials to begin with. So if we just toss them back into a pit, everything's going to be okay? Is that the basic premise? Yeah, you know, sand and plastics and drywall. Drywall is a big fraction of the material, particularly from demolition sites. And often the reason that people are realizing that maybe this material isn't as inert as we thought because drywall is made of gypsum, and gypsum in these landfills, when it gets wet, actually produces something called hydrogen sulfide, and that's a gas, and it comes out of these landfills, and it smells terrible, and uh, people are not too excited about living near one of these landfills when that happens. So times are changing. We're smartening up. Yes, absolutely. We're seeing value in these materials. And so what does the new landfill look like? If we now know that they're going to off-gas and they're going to leach, <laughs> did you call it leach It's leachate. <laughs> leachate. Leachate has got leach its own eight. name. <laughs> um, now that we know that they're going to off-gas and leach, uh, how do we build a proper landfill to contain these materials today? So yes, we, we put it in a landfill that's designed to contain leachate and perhaps even to collect the gas, although that's very rare. But we don't put things in there that are going to dissolve and leach. We try to avoid putting drywall in landfills and and so forth. But I think the recognition is that we really don't need to put it in these landfills, that there are certainly other things we can do with this waste. Where does the drywall go? They are perfecting ways to recycle it into new drywall as well as kitty litter. And so there are techniques now that are better at separating the paper from the gypsum. So that's certainly going to improve the ability to recycle. Do the cats not like paper in their (laughs) kitty litter? (laughs) Well, maybe cats aren't as concerned about it as new drywall construction. Drywall recycled into kitty litter is pretty creative. And maybe it's obvious that we don't want construction waste sitting in unlined landfills where it can contaminate the soil and water. But Debbie says dumping construction debris in landfills poses another issue. Wood can go into a landfill and it's going to sit in there because the conditions in a landfill are not appropriate for breaking down wood. You know, we find wood hundreds and hundreds of years ago that's just been, you know, buried in the soil that's still there. But they have better uses outside of a landfill. Such as what? Well, concrete can be ground up and used new concrete. So instead of using some of the aggregate materials that are dug out of a quarry or something like that, stone or sand or something like that, you can put the old concrete into new concrete. And that actually reduces the energy demand for making new concrete and just the cost because now you're using material that you're recycling instead of virgin materials. Certainly the metals, the metals we've been recycling efficiently since, I think, World War II because it makes so much sense to recycle metals as opposed to, you know, digging up new ore and separating the metals there. So so being able to pull stuff out with magnets, we really do it well, and there's a huge market for it. It makes complete sense. Yeah, it's interesting how that happens, right? When something is precious, yes, we figure a way to get it back, and we figure out how to make a market for it, right? I mean, it, to your point, we've been doing it for four decades. Yes, a long time. And we do it really well. And it seems to me that like that's almost the model, the thing that we want to shoot for. If we can recover such a high percentage of the metal, 
wouldn't it be great if we could recover such a high percentage of the concrete or the asphalt next? Yes, as I haven't even mentioned asphalt because asphalt could be reused in new asphalt and that saves a huge amount of energy because you're not using the raw materials. Okay, we're doing some things right, but there's always room for improvement. So what will the future look like? It would be amazing if one day we could walk up to a building and scan like a QR code and obtain an index of the building materials or components that are inside. And you would have this understanding of what was in there and how it could actually have the potential to be reused. We'll be back in a minute. Now, I wanted to start where the dumpsters start. So I asked Charlie Silva, when it comes to construction waste, what does he think the future job site looks like? I mean, I can only, of course, guess, but I would think that the recycle process in maybe picking through the debris, whether it's before the dumpster company saying, we'll put two dumpsters, one strictly wood, one strictly plaster. Of course, metals you separate. Of course, the brick we talked about. So, and then maybe the efficiency of the recycle places at the plants, they're doing something more with it in the future, which would be my guess. So the pre-sorting gets pushed back to you to the job site is maybe the big prediction. I would say there'd be a a part of that because it'll be a cost savings if you can do it. If you're going to put it in a dumpster and they do it, they're going to charge you for it. So the cost of a dumpster miraculously doubled or tripled overnight, would it change how you approach them? Uh, I would say no, because once again, you still have to have them. I would just cover them in a rainstorm. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. I've thought about that, actually. It hurts, doesn't it? Yes. It hurts. Don't let them pick them up on a rainy day. No. Like Charlie said, dumpsters are a necessary evil, and we're not about to get rid of them anytime soon. So finding more ways to sort materials on site is one option. And we can sell or repurpose kitchen cabinets, flooring, old doors, and windows. And that brings us to the future of recycling technology. Debbie Reinhardt told me about waste tracking software. It's software that looks into the dumpster and says, okay, you've got about 20% concrete, uh, 20% wood. So it breaks down what's in the dumpster and tracks where it's going and maybe gives credit back to the construction company for leads or tax relief if that's available. And so I think the more we know about the waste, the better we characterize it, the more we can plan ahead and do things better. Just help me visualize this. How does it look into the dumpster? Cameras. Cameras. Yes. Really? Cameras with artificial intelligence. And we were doing this many years ago where we would just have people look at the waste and estimate how much of each thing was in there and what the potential for recycling would be. But now they have cameras and systems and artificial intelligence and machine learning that (laughs) takes our place. Where's the camera? It should be on site. It should be um, looking into the dumpster. And you can also tell when the dumpster is full, and then that's when it's time to come pick up. You know, it's not like once a week you pick this up. You pick it up when it's full, and you know that by tracking or visualization. But what about before the dumpster even arrives on the job site? Things like green building practices or right-sizing materials. Imagine designing a new house or an addition so that it uses more full sheets of plywood so that you didn't have to cut many and you created less waste. 
And Debbie mentioned a really simple thing. How about using recycled or pre-owned kitchen countertops? Absolutely. I think they should be more open to accepting previously used marble or you know, granite or cabinets or sinks or bathtubs. And I think people are doing that. Maybe we create eBay for salvaged material. And so if they're willing to accept this, then there'll be a market, right? And, and they'll remove these materials when they're taking down a, a nice house that, you know, the first thing that happens is the dumpster appears right after a house is sold. So I think being open to this, you know, understanding the advantages of not absolutely having to have brand new granite, which is certainly reusable, will play a big role in this. Now, that's a pretty simple thing. But what about something bigger? That had me thinking about what Nicole Villamizar from the EPA said about the QR code. Basically, every building would have a digital code on the outside. So you could walk up to it, scan it, and that would tell you how many square feet of flooring was inside, how many windows, what kind of framing was there. You can see the possibilities. Now, recognize that is a a lofty goal. There are a lot of things that would have to, to come into play there in order for that to become kind of the job site of the future. But building material transparency is really important. You have to know what is in that building, what is available for reuse, what kind of chemicals or other materials were used in the manufacturers of that building material component. And so one example of a kind of future vision is really using buildings as material banks or repositories for construction materials. So if you're able to actually design a building or a home to recover that material to the maximum extent possible, you could actually deconstruct it or selectively demolish it and reuse it either on site for new construction or at a construction site nearby, whether that's a road or another home or another building being constructed. That's the kind of future that I would like to see for building materials. The future will probably be a combination of all of those things. Better sorting at the job site, streamlining recycling, finding new markets for recycled materials. And maybe, one day, cameras attached to every dumpster or creating building resource banks. Some places are already taking aggressive approaches to C&D waste. Seattle, Washington, Portland, Oregon, and Aptos, California have restrictions on whole house demolitions. Because when an excavator comes in and tears down an entire house, all the materials get mashed up and contaminated. And then recycling anything is off the table. And that's a big problem, because that demo waste makes up 90% of all C&D waste. So instead, homes have to be deconstructed, basically pulled apart piece by piece so materials can be reused or recycled. But whatever the future looks like, one thing is guaranteed. The amount of construction waste this country generates is growing every year. And being smarter about what we do with that waste is quickly becoming a priority. Drop us an email at clearstory at thisoldhouse.com to let us know what you think of this episode and if there's anything else you want us to explore. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Clear Story and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Clear Story was produced by Rococo Punch for This Old House. Production support from Catherine Fenelosa, 
Chris Ermides, and Sarah Chase. Thanks to our guests, Charlie Silva, Debbie Reinhardt, and Nicole Villamazar. I'm Kevin O'Connor. More next week.